Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful that you guys are here, whether you're joining us in person or maybe you're watching online, maybe you're getting ready for the game later today. We're just grateful uh, that you're with us in, as well. And our hope and prayers are that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. And today we are celebrating our ninth birthday, uh, which, man, I'm pumped about. Yeah. Uh, uh, we were talking, I was talking with some people after last service about, like, how how big of a deal it was. Like we celebrate it every year because uh, the average church doesn't make it past year two. So uh, we're like, man, we've made it past year two. And now we've made it to nine years. Can't wait to see what God has for us. In fact, it was nine years ago uh, that uh, another a, a tragic event happened in Denver. Uh, if you remember the, uh, the Super Bowl against the Seahawks, uh, <laughs> happened the week before we launched our church and people had lost all hope. So we're like, let's start a church. Uh, to give people some hope. So uh, it's worked out. We've uh, seen God do some great things. We've seen over 1,000 people make commitments to Christ. We've given away over $900,000 to church plants, to missionaries, to uh, people in our, our, our town that are in need, to local organizations. We've helped start 32 churches, uh, which I think is amazing. And, and most of those are in the U.S., but some of them are in Canada, Switzerland, India, Kenya, so kind of all over the world. Like God's been able to use our church in some significant ways. And since the beginning, we've wanted to be a church that was for the community. It was about impacting the community. In fact, it's one of the reasons why we gave you guys uh, gift cards. Say, hey, this is a blessing to you, but also be a blessing to someone else. Because we've always been about that. And one way that we've tried to be a blessing to others is through mission trips. Um, I, in fact, we've been doing mission trips since year one. Uh, some of my, my mentors were like, hey, don't do mission trips year one uh, because you just got other things to focus on. We're like, no, this is who we are. So we took, we've taken mission trips uh, since year one. And we've got four trips coming up this summer, if you're interested. We've got two to Costa Rica, uh, one student trip, one general trip. And then we got a Columbia trip. And then we have a trip to Kenya. So if you're interested in any of those, the application deadline is this Friday. That's not you saying and committing, yes, I'm 100% in. But if you're like, man, I think I might want to go. Here's what I say about missions. Everyone's supposed to be involved in missions. Some people are supposed to stay here and give toward it. And some people have the margin and the ability in their life to go. And if you're in that second category, fill out the application. You can scan the QR code on your worship guide and you can get the application right there. Uh, fill that out before Friday. That's the deadline. And uh, man, join us. Uh, my daughter and I, she's 10. We're going to be going to Kenya. I'm going to be leading that trip. And I remember the first time that I went to this place. I've been going there for, since 2001 uh, and <clears throat> the, uh, to Kenya. So it's like my 16th, 17th trip, something like that. And I remember the first time that we went to this particular location that we built up a base and houses and all of that. But the first time there, like, there was no road, at least from my perspective. I couldn't see a road at all. It just looked like dirt everywhere. But somehow the drivers knew exactly where to go. They knew how to get through the riverbeds. They knew how to miss the potholes. Like, they knew that there was a road here leading us to some destination, even though I couldn't see it. And I thought at that time, like, this is very similar to life. Like, I remember before I, I accepted Jesus into my life, I remember thinking, man, there's got to be more to this life. Like, I wanted more. I wanted happiness. I, I wanted uh, contentment. I wanted joy. I wanted to have breakthrough from some of the addictions that I had. I wanted, like, this fulfilled life, something that all of us want. Like, all of us want this type of life, but I thought, how do I get there? And eventually I had a buddy. He showed me a, a path. He showed me a road uh, in fact, this road had a, 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 a name to it. It was called the Romans Road. 
And so what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, we're starting a new series called Romans, A Journey Through uh, This Book, uh, is what we're going to be uh, uh, looking at. It's called, uh, sorry, The Road, and it's going to be a journey through Romans. And uh, for every series, we're doing uh, something called a, 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 a series hub. So if you want to uh, scan the QR code that's in your worship guide, some of you, you've already been utilizing this for the last series. Uh, on this series hub, we have videos. I do a video, just kind of a quick introduction of the book. Uh, then we have other resources on there, uh, things that you can read, things that you can watch, and things that you can listen to, because we know that not everybody is a reader, and not everybody listens to stuff. And so we're just trying to provide different opportunities for you to grow in your faith. Uh, we did a survey a few months ago, and we said, hey, what do you want for the, over the next year? And by far the majority of people said, I just I want to be able to grow my faith. Uh, can you give me more knowledge and all of that? And so these series hubs are that opportunity. So you can scan that, find out more information there. Uh, but this, this book of Romans, here's what I would say. I would say it's the best explanation of the gospel. You've probably heard that term before, the gospel. I think it's been misused over the years. The gospel is simply this. It's the good news about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's the good news about salvation that's being offered to you and I. And the book of Romans, I would say, is the best explanation of the gospel. There's this thing called the Romans Road, where it takes five verses and 16 chapters. So 16 chapters of the book of Romans, and it takes five verses out of all 16 chapters to clearly explain what the gospel is. And those are the five verses we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Now, the book of Romans was written by a guy named Paul. Let me give you some context. Uh, when we meet Paul, it's in Acts chapter 7, and at that point, he's a Pharisee. Pharisee is one of the top religious leaders uh, of the Jewish people at that time. But he's not just a Pharisee. He's like in the upper echelon of the Pharisees. Like he's a top dog. In fact, they go to him for certain decisions. One of those decisions is to arrest and to kill Christians. So that's kind of like Paul's role at this point is to arrest Christians because they, they feel like they're taking people away from the Jewish faith. And uh, they believe that Christians at that time, that, that uh, whatever belief they had, man, wasn't what God's best for uh, people. And so Paul's actually on the road to Damascus to arrest more Christians. When he has this incredible encounter with God, he meets Jesus, he gives his life over to him, and now he becomes an apostle. He's got a new mission. His mission is to go around sharing the gospel, the good news about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He starts churches, and then once he starts these churches, he usually leaves them in, in, in some form of leadership, and then he goes to another place and he starts another church. And then he begins writing letters to these churches to remind them of certain things, to help them in their spiritual journey and all of that. And Romans is one of these letters that he writes. He writes his letter to the church in Rome, and the church in Rome at that point, they were disunified. They were having major issues with unity, and here's why. Because the Jewish, the Jewish people had been expelled for political reasons out of Rome, and many of them had come to faith in Jesus during that time. Now they're moving back into Rome, and at the same time, you have non-Jewish people who have accepted Christ. So you've got this church that has Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. And so they're going, what are we supposed to believe? Like, what do we have to do to be a true follower of Jesus? And the Jewish Christians started saying, well, you've got to do some of the things that, that our tradition has taught us, that we've done. So, like, you've got to be, you've got to be circumcised to be a Christian. And the non-Jew was, were like, we've got to be what? I've got to do what to follow Jesus? I think, I think I'm good. So, like, there's, like, this battle that's happening in the church. And Paul goes, guys, those things are not that important. Let me remind you of what's most important important. 
And so the book of Romans is this, this, this discussion on the most important doctrines, the most important beliefs, what we would call the essentials. And at the forefront of that is the Romans road, which is talking about the gospel. The first stop on this road is Romans 3.23. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, no worries. It's going to be up on the screen. Also, as a part of our series hub, uh, we're doing a reading plan. So if you have the Bible app, you can actually choose our church in the Bible app, and then from there, you can get reading plans. So it's super simple. We're all in the same reading plans, and we can encourage each other and, and all of that stuff. You can invite friends. You can invite me, whatever, um, even if I'm not your friend. Uh, we can still study the Bible together and, uh, and, and grow from there. So Romans chapter 3, verse 23, here's what it says. It's pretty simple. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the first stop on this road, if you will, is to understand that the good news about Jesus and the gospel, the Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the first stop on this, the thing that you have to understand is that all of us, say all of us, all of us are sinners. That every person in here is a sinner. And the Bible makes this clear all throughout Scripture. I mean, Romans 3.10 says that none are righteous, not even one. Galatians 3.22 says that everyone is under sin. Job 15.16 says man drinks iniquity like he drinks water. 1 John 1.8 says if we claim to be without sin, that you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. So the Bible makes it very clear that all of us are sinners. Now, once we have a full grasp of what sin actually is, I've never met a person, not even the most devout atheist, who would say, I'm not a sinner. Like, every person I've ever met, once you understand what real sin is, every person would say, yep, then that's, that's me. I, I, I've sinned at some point in my life. So what is sin? Well, let me give you the simplest definition that I can. Sin is simply this. It's missing the mark. It's missing the mark. Well, what's the mark? Well, God's the one that sets the mark, and God said all throughout Scripture that you got to be holy for he is holy. So the mark is holiness, meaning perfection. That's the mark. So if you want to be like God is, you want to be holy for he is holy, what is the mark? The mark is perfection. Once you understand that the mark is perfection, all of us can be like, yeah, I've missed that a time or two. Like, it's pretty obvious, right? Like, like uh, in darts. I don't know how many of you play darts. Uh, I, I love darts. Uh, I used to play. I used to have a board and all that. Don't now. Uh, and I, I had shoulder surgery. So now I have to throw darts left-handed, which this morning was the first time that I attempted that. And I think I killed a kid. Um, <laughs> darts is pretty easy, right? Like, you know what to do with a dart. Like, there's a bullseye. Unless, like, my old dart board had baseball on the back. It was super awesome. But besides that, you know what to do. Like, there's a bullseye. So your goal is to, oh, that wasn't bad. It was a little better. I mean, it was weak, but it was a little bit better. Let's try again. Oh, no, don't cheer for me. That's terrible. <laughs> but that was good left-handed. Yes, thank you. Um, so it's, like, obvious, right? Like, no one, you see a dartboard, and you're like, oh, man, you, you did perfect. No, I still missed the bullseye. Like, it's pretty obvious. And when we understand that the bullseye, that the mark that we're shooting for is perfection, all of us can say, I'm a sinner. The problem, I think, is that over the years, Culturally, the mark has moved. I think because some people are the loudest groups and some people will say, well, this isn't sin or this is now sin or whatever, I feel like the mark has moved. It's a lot like a dartboard that I found online. Take a look at this. It's fairly self-explanatory, but you throw a dart and as long as your initial throw is somewhere within this diameter or so, the dartboard helps out a little bit. <laughs> 
How many of you want that dartboard in your house, right? If you watch the rest of the video, they take it to the bar, and these people who are wasted are like, yeah! I'm like, can you not see it moving? Like, that's real bad. <laughs> but I feel like that's the way culture is. That like, like, wherever you throw the dart, like, oh, well, let's move it. Boop, yep, you hit the bullseye. Because if that's good for you, then it's good. It's right. It's like we've created our own truth. You know, whatever is perfect, whatever is right, like we've created it. But God's going, no, 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 you still missed the mark. Like God's the one that gets to decide what the mark is. He created us. He created everything. He's the one that gets to say, hey, here's what the mark is. And what he said the mark is, is it's perfection. It's being absolutely perfect. So if you understand that, then I think all of us would say, yeah. I've missed a mark. I am a sinner. Then what's the big deal? I mean, what's the purpose of this being the first stop on the Romans road? Like, why is this so important? It's because of what sin does to you. It's because of what sin, how it, how it can destroy you and everything else around you. God's going, hey, I don't want you to participate in this. Not because I'm trying to tell you do's and don'ts and all of that, but because I know the results. I know what will ultimately happen. It's kind of like in my house. Uh, in our house, our kids, are, they're 10 and 12. And so we have to have discussion a lot about, like, what's right, what's wrong, you know, that type of thing. And so there are certain things that, like, won't be tolerated in our household. Lying, saying certain words, things like that. And our kids sometimes will be like, well, I heard so-and-so say those words. Or, or my friend lies. And I'm like, I don't care what other people do. You're a smith. And in this household, we don't do this. God is saying, hey, in my household, you don't sin. Not because he's trying to be mean, but because he knows the destruction that sin causes. So what does sin do? Let me give you two things that sin does. Number one, sin isolates. Sin isolates. One of the main issues with sin is not uh, that we don't understand that we're all sinners. Like, it's not that you need somebody to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. Right? Like somebody doesn't have to say like, hey, cheating is wrong or stealing is wrong or rooting for the chiefs is wrong. Like no one has to tell you those things are wrong. Right? I see y'all back in that corner, but I see the Eagles fans too. So I got y'all's back. Like no one has to tell you like certain things are wrong in life. Like you just know like, yeah, that's wrong. And here's what happens though. When you and I, when we engage in sin, so many times that sin, it hopefully leads to guilt, but then the guilt will lead to shame or can lead to shame. You see, there's a massive difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says that I've done something bad. Shame says I am bad. There's a massive difference between those two things. Guilt says, hey, I've done something bad in my life. Shame says I am bad. And when you think that you are bad, you isolate yourself from others. When you think that you're evil, when you think that something is wrong with you, you pull back from others and from God. Sin isolates. I mean, this is a principle that I learned very early on, way before I ever met this guy named Jesus. I mean, I was doing things in my life at that time that I knew. No one had to tell me that I was doing wrong things. No one had to tell me that stealing was wrong. No one had to tell me that, that I mean, I was cheating in pretty much every area of my life. No one had to tell me those things were wrong. And I didn't go around, like, telling everybody, like, hey, guess what I did last night? Hey, guess what? And thank God there wasn't social media during that time. I would have been canceled a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Like no one had to tell me what I was doing was wrong. I knew it. And it led to me isolating myself. I didn't want people knowing what I was dealing with, what I was going through. I didn't want people to know what I was doing in my life. Even when I would participate with other people, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to have conversations. I isolated myself and it led to a place of depression. And this is what sin does. Sin isolates you, and when it isolates you, it leads to all kinds of other lies and issues in our lives. This is something we've been talking about since day one of our church. In fact, the very first series of our church, back in 2014, when we were back at Mesa Middle School, we did a series. The very first series was about this. And I found a clip from that. The guy looks a little bit different, but the words he's saying are the same. So take a look. The reality is the shame that all of us have felt at some point. Yeah, I hear you. The shame that maybe many of us are living in right now is a shame that holds us back from our relationship with God, at least a healthy relationship with God, and holds us back from a healthy relationship with each other. And this is exactly where Satan wants us to be. I mean, this is exactly where Satan wanted Adam and Eve to be in this situation, because he knows that if he can get you to, to begin living this life of shame and regret, then he can get you away from a relationship with God and get you away from a relationship with other people, and you'll become hidden, fearful, and you'll isolate yourself. And for some of us, this is where we are. I'm about to isolate myself from some of y'all right now. <laughs> I heard those moans. I don't even know what that means. I had a lady last service literally laughed as loud as you can imagine. I had another guy after last service, he's like, I've never seen somebody change so much. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Man, church planning has aged this guy. That looked like a 16-year-old right there. And those of you watching online, you're welcome. Our production value is a lot better than it was back then. This is something we've been teaching since day one because it's the gospel. It's the truth of God's word that all of us at some point in our lives, we've isolated ourselves. That all of us, because of sin, because of something that we've done, we've pulled back from other people. We've pulled back from God, and it leads to all kinds of destruction. And it doesn't just happen before you're a follower of Jesus. I mean, you can accept Christ and be forgiven and all of that, and still, when you engage in sin, you start to feel that guilt. And if you don't confess it, if you don't deal with it immediately, then it turns into shame, and you begin to isolate yourself. And you find yourself in a place that you never wanted to be. You never thought you'd be. You're wondering where God is, where other people are. It's all because of sin. Sin isolates. The second thing that sin does is sin kills. Sin isolates and sin kills. We're going to study a passage in a couple weeks at Romans 6.23 that says, For the wages of sin is death. And Romans 5.12 says, Just as, uh, as uh, sin entered the world through one man, death entered it through sin. So because of sin, sin results in death. We get this, right? We get this. No matter where we're at spiritually, no matter where we're at in our faith with God, we understand that sin leads to death. It quite literally can lead to death, but it can also lead to uh, other things in our lives um, dying. We, it can lead to emotional death. It can lead to a mental death. It can lead to relational death. It can lead to spiritual death. Death. I mean, God even said this to Adam and Eve, don't partake of this fruit. Don't sin. Don't rebel from me. If you do, you will die. I remember years ago, it was probably 15 years ago, I was counseling a guy and, oh man, he was in a bad place. Uh, he had a massive porn addiction and 
it all came to light uh, because his wife found out that they had massive debt stemming from this addiction. And this guy, he was in a, he was in a rough spot. He knew that this sin had destroyed everything. His marriage was on the rocks. Their family was struggling financially because of the debt that they'd, he'd put them in. His mental state, his emotional state, his spiritual state, he was in a very, very poor place, all because of sin. Because sin kills. And I could tell you story after story like this one of other people, of other experiences that sin destroyed their life, but I don't have to tell you, you know. Like, we've all seen this, right? We've seen this in the last two years where people have chosen politics and ideology over love, and it's killed relationships. Right? We've seen, I've seen pastors use their platform for hate or for self-promotion, and it's killed their ability to, to reach spiritually disconnected people. We've watched it with marriages, with relationships, in the workplace. You've seen it. You, you've seen personally how sin destroys how it can kill so many things in our lives. And the greatest thing that sin kills is our spiritual life. Like, have you ever been in a place where you're wondering, man, does God even see me anymore? Like, maybe you can't hear God's voice or like you, don't, you haven't felt his presence in a long time. And there could be multiple reasons for that, but I would say probably, I don't know what percentage, maybe seven, eight, nine times out of 10, we get into that place because of our own sin. Again, there's some other reasons that we can get there, but seven, eight, maybe nine times out of ten, when I feel like I'm in a place where, like, God, man, I don't, I don't hear you. Like, I don't feel your presence. I feel like there's this distance between him and I. It's because of my sin. That's what sin does. It, it kills. It kills our relationships with others. It kills us sometimes emotionally and mentally definitely kills us spiritually. Well, the Bible has a remedy for it. I mean, in 1 John, it says, if you confess your sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not like God's going, ah, you just got to try better. You got to work harder. You got you to become gooder. And your vocabulary. He's saying, hey, just come and confess. Jesus gives this great illustration for us. In John chapter 13, uh, it, it's what's called the Last Supper. And so it's, he's hanging out with his buddies, his disciples, before he goes to the cross and dies for us and all of that. And, and so, like, in the moment, the disciples probably didn't realize, like, how important this moment was. But, like, us looking back on it, we're like, this is his Last Supper before he goes and dies for us. Like, whatever he's going to say here, this is massive. This has got to be a big deal. And he teaches us about communion in that moment, but he gets up at one point and he starts washing the disciples' feet. It's a pretty powerful story, and I think there's some spiritual components to it of like, we need to be doing that for one another. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you all to take off your shoes because I don't want to wash your feet. Some of y'all got nasty feet, you know, but Jesus in the mo this moment, I think he's teaching us something so much deeper. He gets to Peter, and Peter says, no, man, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And Peter's like, all right, cool, man, then give me a whole bath. Like, just do the whole thing. Jesus is like, you're not understanding. Like, once you come, he teaches this principle, once you come to Christ, once you accept Christ into your life, that's your bath. Right? That's you accepting, you've accepted Christ, you've been forgiven of your sins. That's your bath. But then you continue in your life. 
And when you continue in your life, you continue in sin. And so your feet are going to get dirty as you walk this journey. And Jesus says, now what I need to do is I need to clean your feet. How do I do that? You've got to confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's how we have communion with him. That's how we have relationship with him. That's how we have this, this intimate fellowship with him is through confession. It's why like when we give a, people an opportunity, we do this every single weekend. We give people an opportunity to say, hey man, I wanna receive Christ into my life. I, 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 maybe you, I've walked into this place feeling spiritually dis disconnected. Maybe some of you, that's where you are. Every single week we have people who walk into this place. They would say, man, I, I, I'm not in a good relationship with God. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you did a long time ago, but because of the journey of life, your feet have gotten dirty. You feel like there's a separation between you and God. And we give this opportunity for people to say, hey, yeah, I'm a sinner, and I want to receive what Christ has done for me. And when that happens, it's like the greatest moment. It's the whole reason we moved our family across the country to start a church, so that we can see people give their lives over to Jesus. That's the whole reason. And it's like watching light bulbs. I get to see it from this, this vantage point when people raise their hands and say, man, that's what I want to do. It's like spiritual light bulbs going off. Like people are like, oh, okay. It doesn't mean that people have all the answers. It doesn't mean that, that people aren't still wrestling with doubts. All of that's going to be true. It means you're taking a significant faith step. It doesn't mean that the Christian life is easy, but it means you're taking a significant faith step. step. And this is the crux of the gospel. This is why, like, everything in this book has been written about and for this moment, for the gospel. Like, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And we just try to share that when we walked through the book of Exodus. And we try to point out multiple times, like, and see, because he did this to the Israelites, he's portraying a future freedom for you and I. Like, we keep trying to point to Jesus because everything in the Old Testament points to him. And everything in the New Testament points to this opportunity you and I have of new life new life found in Christ. And it's really that simple. It's us understanding that Jesus loved you and I so much. Our sin, all of us have sinned, that sin separates us between, it separates us and God. So it creates this chasm. But God loved you so much, he didn't want that. He wanted a relationship with you. But there had to be some type of penalty paid for our sin. Jesus paid it for us. Instead of God making us pay for it, he paid for it so you and I could have life. And it's really that simple. Last week, my daughter, uh, she's, she's 10. She's kind of an evangelist. I, I hope she keeps that. I hope she's always sharing her faith. And she was telling me the story. She was sharing her faith with two kids in her class. And she got to the point about Jesus dying on the cross. One girl said, well, why did Jesus have to die? And she said, well, because of our sins, he chose to die for our sins. And the girl goes, oh, that makes sense. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> Rewind, tell me the story over again. I had to miss something. So she tells me over, the story over again. Well, why did Jesus have to die? Well, he died because of our sins. He died for our sins. Oh, that makes sense. I thought, to have faith like a child. Jesus says... Something about that. Like for us, we make it so complicated. Like you got to clean up your life first. You got you to put down certain things first. You got to get this part of your life in order first. Ernest, you don't know my past. There's no way that God could still love me for what I've done. 
to the people around me or to myself or whatever. And yet it's really that simple. All of us are sinners. God loved you so much. He wanted that right relationship with you. So he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. But the beauty is he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later, which separates him from everybody else. Every other religious leader, every other religion, Jesus is separated because he's the only one that came back three days later. He showed his power over death and over sin so you and I could live, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be in right standing with God and have this right relationship with him. That even though we miss the mark, Christ died for us so that we can be forgiven. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about salvation and what that means and how that works and all of that. Today, I think God's just saying, just come home. For some of you, you're already there. Maybe you're in a great place. Maybe God to you is going, who are you going to share this with? For some of you, maybe you've accepted Christ, but you feel the separation between you and God right now. Just say, God, search my heart. Search me, know me. See if there's any offensive way in me. Search the dark corners of my heart, God. And if there's sin there, confess it. And ask for his forgiveness. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And for some of us, we've never accepted Christ. And God's saying, just come home. Confess that you're a sinner. All of us are. You're in good company. And then receive what Jesus has done for you. It's really that simple. The Christian faith isn't simple. It's hard because God calls us to die to ourselves. But you'll progress in that. You'll figure out what that means. God will walk with you and all of that. And as a church, we'll walk with you and all of that. But the salvation aspect, it's really that simple. Confess that you're a sinner. Receive what Christ has done for you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this letter that Paul wrote almost 2,000 years ago. A letter that speaks to us even today. It really is for the church today in a world where we have so much division and so many, well, this is most important, this is most important. And God, you're just going, this is the essential. That we trust you at your word, that you loved us enough, that yet while we're still sinners, you died for us. Thank you, Jesus. And God, I know, just like last service, just like literally every single service we've ever had, there have been people who've walked through these doors and maybe watching online, that if we'd be real honest with ourselves, we'd say, man, I do not feel connected to God. I feel spiritually disconnected. I feel far from him. Maybe you had that at one point, and it's just because of life, because of sin, maybe because of pain. There's just that separation between you and God. Maybe you've never given your life over to Christ. Maybe it's your first time in church. Or you've never heard a clear explanation of the gospel. Right now you can admit, man, I am a sinner. I've missed the mark, of course. And I can admit that trying it on my own hasn't gotten any better. Maybe you're at 
where I was at when I gave my life to Jesus. I just felt like I've tried everything else. Let's just try this and see what happens. God, I thank you that you transformed me from there. So if that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, you know what, Ernest, that's me, man. I've just been feeling spiritually disconnected from God. Going far from him, but man, I want to come home today. I want to accept Christ. I want to recommit my life to Christ. If that's you, just, I just want you to raise your hand. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Amen. 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 Father, thank you for each one of these individuals. Thank you, God, for your great love, your mercy. Thank you that you know us by name. And you call us to yourself. And you've made a way because of your great love. So, God, as we confess that we're sinners, we run to your grace. And we're thankful that your word says if we just confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us. Forgive us now, Father. God, for all of us, tell us what our next step is. What we're to do with this gospel message. For some of us, we're to share it today the parties we go to or the people we engage with. For some of us, God is dwelling in the fact that you loved us enough so much. God, you saved me. Thank you. Thank you, Father. God, we thank you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.